why don't you guys all be seated. I'm going to have my good friend, Gunther Kruinski, come on up and bring you guys God's word. So let's give him a nice welcome. Good morning. It is good to be mothered, isn't it? Um, let's just ask the Lord again to come, as we have already, but uh, especially to have our hearts sensitive for his word. So if you join me. Father, we're grateful that for the freedom to be able to be here, to have the liberty to come and do this without fear of persecution, like many of our brethren around the world. So we ask that your word would have its work in us, and that, Lord, you would give us hearts not only to hear, but to do, and to follow you, because we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I like that amen from that little one there. It's great. Okay, so we have been, as Pastor Brian's been going through the person of the Holy Spirit, we're beginning to transition, starting this morning, into the power, the works, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which uh, we'll be you know, touching on a number of areas as we transition. But we need to know more about the Holy Spirit and His power with His works and His gifts So primarily, as we discover this morning the Holy Spirit and His power, we'll be looking at Luke's narrative primarily as it describes His power upon us as believers and why He does so. So let's go ahead and if we can go ahead uh, to turn to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to go ahead and do that slide that starts with Acts chapter 1 there. I know it's a little bit out of order there, talking to our sound guys up there. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, does anybody not have a Bible in here? We have our ushers to, we'll give you a Bible, so raise your hands and we'll snake you one there real quick. Now, Luke being uh, a very careful narrative, he's also the one who wrote the account of Jesus' life in the book of Luke, and this is simply a continuation of the life of Jesus, but now through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And in this, Luke is beginning to just tell the account of this transition from Jesus' death and resurrection, him presenting himself alive to the disciples, and then as he is risen, he pours out the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1, starting with verse 3, it says, He presented himself, being Jesus, alive to them after his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, that's amazing. Think about this. Here is the risen Savior, and he's, for 40 days, showing himself to large groups of people, small groups of people, to his disciples, to his friends, for 40 days. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Let's go to the next slide. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, it's really important that we understand a little bit about this, because 
As Jesus is going out, he's got his disciples, roughly about 120 as we're going to see in the rest of the narrative here. But he wants to have them wait for the promise of the Father, which he had spoken about to them a few times while he was with them. And so he wants them to understand that they need power, his presence, to be able to be witnesses for him. Now, it's interesting that this word for witnesses is where we get our word martyr. Very interesting, isn't it? That to be his witness means that there has to be a death involved, not only his, but also ours. And so this is, we're going to see some of this happening. So, as we begin to move through this, I want to go to our top slide, if we can. Uh, one other up. Up, oh, one more. One more. Ah, there we go. Thank you. It's very important that as we understand Luke, who's being a doctor, was probably a very exacting person. You don't like to go to sloppy doctors, and Luke wasn't a sloppy doctor. In fact, he comments in his gospel narrative that he labored intensely to get the story right and to report the facts as best he knew how to. So in relating the story now about this experience of the Holy Spirit and his power, it's interesting to Luke to look at Luke's descriptions. And I've just put up on the screen there a couple of things. And Luke relates this experience with the Spirit as being filled with him, they received him, he fell upon them, he was poured out on them, and he came upon them. Luke being so exact... And yet here he is describing in different ways this experience with the person of the Holy Spirit and his power. I think it's important for us that we do not be rigid in our language and practice in an area where God and his word is not. That's really important. So rather than a dry doctrinal dissertation, this is described by Luke as a vital living relationship between his spirit and his people. In fact, Luke at the end of his gospel records Jesus saying to wait in Jerusalem so they might be clothed with power. Now just think about that. You've all put on clothes this morning, correct? I don't see any naked people running around here, which is a good thing. But just think about this. The the, the, the scriptures talk about us putting on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Luke uses the same language here of being clothed upon by the Holy Spirit and to be clothed upon with power. So it's really important that we understand that however we define the terms, it's not so much the terms, it's the experience of his person, his presence, and his power upon us that God wants us to get. Because... His power works out of relationship and not a positional place. Especially when Jesus said in the Gospels, he said, the Father is in me and I am in him. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was doing the works of power and bringing the kingdom of God. Now, as we're going to see as well, all of us as his people can do and will do the very same things. So in returning to Luke's story, just a couple of notes as we move on 
Actually, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to that next slide uh, coming up here. I apologize here. One of the things before we get in, and we have to define the word power as God defines it in his word. So we're going to just highlight three words here. And the first is dunamis, which means might or ability. We get our English words dynamic and dynamite by that. It's translated by other terms in the scriptures like miracles and mighty works. It's shown in contrast to our human ability and or strength. Let's go to the next slide. Another definition of power in the scriptures is exousia, which means the freedom of action or the right to act. Some of you in this room have been given exousia from Cal Poly. You've earned your degree, and now you, and if you're in your master's program or a doctorate, you've been given the right and the authority and the privilege of being called doctor or to have a degree which gives you the right to get a job. Hopefully, future employers will recognize this gift upon you. In the scriptures, it is the same way. Jesus acted under the right and authority that the Father had given him. We also act and work by the right and the privilege as the sons and daughters of God. Remember Jesus said in the book of John, as John describes, as we receive the Lord Jesus, we have been given the power or the right or the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. So we see now in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the right, the ability, and the authority to act in his name to bring the gospel and to do works of power. Let's do the next slide on power. Finally, the last one I'm going to highlight here is that we see the word basileia, which means kingdom or sovereignty. One of the aspects we need to understand throughout all of Scripture is that whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, we see God bringing his kingdom upon the earth in different ways and different methods and at different times. We see it means royal power, reigning and ruling. Literally, Jesus the king came. He died to destroy a dark kingdom. The scripture says that he came to destroy the works of the devil in, John's, in uh, the letter of John. In the book of Hebrews, he says that he came to destroy him who had the power of death, meaning the devil. And so he died to destroy the work of a dark kingdom and he will come to establish the kingdom, his kingdom. And finally, it's shown in the scriptures in contrast to Satan's kingdom and the kingdoms of this age. So let's work with that definition of power, and let's go on here. Let's go back to the book of Acts here and just uh, look at a couple of verses. And we notice in Acts chapter 1 here that they've all gathered in the upper room. Jesus is risen. He's been with them 40 days. And remember, he tells them to go back to Jerusalem and to wait. And during this next 10 days, the disciples gather together. They wait. They pray. They meet together. And it's interesting that as we see here that in this upper room, there's about 120 people. 
And besides the original 11 disciples that are left, Mary and his brothers are along with them. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and Jesus' natural family, his brothers, along with other men and women, about 120. And they had one mind and one heart and purpose, in one accord, as the Scripture says here. Whenever there's this kind of unity in God's people, the Holy Spirit is always glad to come with his power on his people. We read this in Psalm 133 where he says, How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together or live together in unity. And it talks about the image of oil being poured out upon his people as you read that scripture. So this is an important aspect that they have one mind and one purpose. Now, as we move into this story that Luke continues, let's look at Acts chapter 2 and we'll read these passages and let's just read along. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? And it begins to describe the different tribes and tongues and languages as you read through 9 through through 11. And finally, in verse 11, all these different men and women, it says that we hear them in our own language speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But in verse 13, it says, others were mocking and saying, they're drunk, they're full of sweet wine. Now, this is a very powerful experience here. It's powerful, it's amazing, it's hard to imagine this going on. And maybe there's even some emotions of, that's scary. That's frightening. But let's dig into the story and highlight some of the power and the purposes of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the day of Pentecost in verse 1 of chapter 2. Why this is important to this, to this, uh, to this dialogue here. The day of Pentecost was an annual Jewish feast and a festival known as the Feast of Weeks or the Day of First Fruits. It was a celebration of the first buds of harvest beginning to come up. Three times a year, the Jews were commanded to come to Jerusalem to celebrate three feasts. Passover, Pentecost, which was 50 days later from Passover, and then the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the harvest in the fall. This, as we see here, was the first ingathering of other people for the harvest of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is being poured out to show that he wants to gather in a group of people from all tribes, all nations, all tongues, and all people. And it's interesting that he chooses Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. And as the Jews came to celebrate their first harvest coming in, The Holy Spirit is signifying to us he wants to bring a great harvest coming in through his power. 
I believe that this is why the Lord poured out his spirit was a sign to the Jewish people here. That this time of celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles or this Feast of Pentecost was like they had never seen before. And as we look at other outpourings of the spirit throughout this Luke's narrative and in other parts of the scripture, we, we see in this instance, we see divided flames of fire. We see the sound of violent wind and an amazing outbreak of languages. But throughout the book of Acts and the other letters of the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming in different ways. What's important to understand about this particular narrative, and when we read about an experience in the scriptures, we must be careful not to to try to form a practice that becomes a rigid expectation. Does that make sense in saying that? It's Sometimes the church, we as the church, whether we're charismatics, evangelicals, and I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is, we all tend to interpret the word, and sometimes what we do is we will read about an experience or a practice, and we immediately begin to try to have that be a way of life and a practice, and that we expect God to do that every time. That's really sometimes a very dangerous place to be in, and we need to really be careful about that. Let's look here in the next point. We see in this experience the sound like a violent wind filling the house, divided flames of fire resting on each person. And we see speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Do you remember in John when Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus spoke to him about being born again from the Spirit from above? And Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus, in describing the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, said this. You see the effects of wind. You see it blowing. But you can't see wind. Here, we see this incredible sound like violent wind. I remember once being up in the Sierras, and the closest experience that I can have to this was I love being in snowstorms. It's really incredible. My wife freaks out about it. She doesn't like driving through it. She doesn't like being in them, but I love it. So I decided to take the truck one day. It was an up to the Sierra. I knew a storm front was coming in. So I went up into the mountains, and I just waited. And all of a sudden... This sound of just a roar as the wind, the front came in and began to just blow throughout these, all the trees around me. And this roar of wind. And you could feel the power. And it just absolutely just went crazy in my spirit. I was just jumping around inside. And as the wind came upon me, all of a sudden the snow starts falling. And it was an absolutely incredible experience. Here, the disciples... Here and all around in Jerusalem, they hear this incredible rushing wind. And with that comes tongues and flames of fire. Now, John the Baptist, in proclaiming Jesus and speaking about him, Luke records this, John records it. John said, I indeed baptize with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. We see throughout the scriptures the Holy Spirit as being characterized by wind, by fire, by water, by oil. 
And so we see this happening to the disciples. Now, as far as speaking with other languages, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak, and we'll spend some more time in another Sunday morning about this, but I think it's incredible that we see this as a reversing of the curse in Genesis. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis, when mankind was first made and created, they all spoke in one languages, and as one, they began to gather together to build themselves a powerful government to reach high into God and become gods themselves. And as God looked down, he said, I'm not going to strive with mankind. And he came down and he actually put the curse of different languages upon all of mankind, and they were divided and scattered over the the entire earth. But here, we see God's power saying, no, I want to gather in. All of these men and women who couldn't speak these languages are all of a sudden speaking about the mighty works of God. And all these different men and women from different uh, countries speaking different languages were all hearing the same thing. How glorious and sublime and how majestic, how powerful God is in what he does. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? That's a very powerful picture to me. How do you feel like the disciples as they were experiencing this? Think about that. As you're praying and waiting and all of a sudden you hear this mighty roar. All of a sudden you see this this tongue-like fire over your head. And all of a sudden you're so filled with his presence that you begin to speak an unknown language. That's pretty awesome. That's very surprising. In fact, I would venture to say that they were rather scared about this. Let me, let me point this out. When we see Jesus' disciples in the, in the presence of Jesus in, in the Gospels, we see them awed about the power of Jesus. We see them incredibly mesmerized by the word of authority, but we also see them sometimes very scared as he manifests his power and his greatness. In fact, Jesus many times had to say, Stop being afraid. Why are you afraid? Look, Jesus is described as the Lion of Judah. And as a lion, he and his spirit will never be domesticated by us. Think about that. We deal with a God who is a great God of power who created all the universe. And yes, sometimes we rejoice and we're ready. Sometimes we're taken by surprise. And I think we need to be able to welcome him in. Because it's through that personal relationship that he has with you. He's welcomed you in as sons and daughters, those of you here who know him. And it's out of relationship that he wants to clothe us, come upon us, fill us with himself and his power. Let's go to the next slide. What's another, the spirit and the power with the purpose? What's the purpose of God pouring out his presence? Well, the promise and the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all. If you turn back to verse 17, we see as Peter stands up, after, as, as, as he begins to respond, he stands up and begins to explain what's going on here to the crowd of people around and he begins to preach this incredible message. And he says in verse 17, it shall be in the last days, 
God says that I will pour out my spirit. He's speaking from a prophecy from Joel about the promise that God had given throughout the entire scriptures of the Old Testament about the coming of the Holy Spirit upon all mankind. And in Joel especially, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, on your sons and daughters, they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit, and, I, and they shall prophesy. Remember something. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God coming upon certain groups, most of the time certain individuals, kings, prophets, certain people at certain times, and then leave. But now God is saying through this wonderful pouring out of his presence, and as Peter begins to explain, that God's heart is for all of his people, all people of the earth, to be able to receive this gift. As they receive Jesus, their king, and come into a new kingdom, he wants all people to receive this gift. Look down in verse 33 of chapter 2 here. Actually, starting with verse 32, as, as Peter continues this message, he says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And then down in verse 38, as people responded and said, what must we do? Peter says to them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Isn't that interesting? So we see God through Peter speaking, this promise, this outpouring of his presence is for all at all times, as many as God calls to himself. That's a very incredible promise for you and I. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. And God is calling us into this. So wonderful. One of the other things as we see the Spirit and his power and one of the purposes is, again, the word authority, as we looked at before. It's the right or the privilege to speak about him and to be involved in works of power. Let's turn over a couple of uh, books back to the book of John. If you've got your Bible, you can throw over here to the book of John. And Brian covered this a few weeks ago. But this is in John, chapter 14. Starting with verse 11, he says this. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And he's referring to the works of miracles and works of power that he had been doing. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. 
Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is an incredible statement that Jesus is making to us. And in case we misunderstand that it's for us, think back at the, at the time when he rose Lazarus from the dead. And when he's speaking about the resurrection, he says, whoever of you who will believe in me, you will receive eternal life and never die. Is there anybody in this room that does not believe that that applies to you? We receive that graciously. But now here Jesus is saying the very same thing, using the very same language. Whoever will believe in me, the works that I do, they will do also. That's an amazing statement. If we turn to Acts 10, 38 and 39, I'll have you flip over there. And this is Peter preaching to a group in a household. And as he's telling about the story of Jesus, he says this in verse 38 of chapter 10. He says, you know about this Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter is describing the fact that Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. Brian pointed this out a few weeks ago when he was saying that though he was God in the flesh, he laid aside that right and privilege and was totally dependent upon the Father, as he said, The works and words that I speak are from the Father. Peter is also here describing that he had to depend on the Holy Spirit for works of power. Now, that's important to us because as we see in those other verses, and I'm not going to turn to there, in Acts chapter 4, 29 through 31, I'll have you read that. But the point being is that as men and women... God has given you the right and the authority and the privilege to speak his word, to give the gospel away, to tell the story of Jesus, and to have works of power. There are so many people in this church right now that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who are great witnesses. We have many families and individuals that are going through incredibly terrible and difficult times in their lives whether through sickness or broken relationships, where humanly it's not possible just to put on a good face, but they're trusting in the power of God and they are being witnesses to their friends and family and neighbors around them because of their testimony for Jesus. That, and they're looking, people are looking at them going, I, I would fall apart if this was happening to me. And they go, Look, I'm struggling too, but man, I just feel this joy. I feel the power of God. I just see what Jesus is doing in our lives, and I'm so grateful. Because remember, one of the hardest things that we might struggle with is that we have within us such ability, so many resources. You may be a strong individual that's so gifted, But when we're talking about the gifts and the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, it isn't dependent on our strength or ability. 
But God pours out his mighty works through us and in us. And he shows the testimony of Jesus through us by that power. And we desperately need that. Our dependence upon our own energy and strength sometimes gets right in the way of being dependent on Jesus and the power of his presence. One last point here. Let's look at the next slide. One other thing the book of Acts describes and the purpose of God pouring out his spirit and his power is that we advance his kingdom, his rule and reign, and bringing in all that he, was, he has called. Notice in Acts 2.41, about 3,000 were added to that number that day after Peter preaches. Now, there was 120, and all of a sudden you have 3,000 people in one day. That's 300% increase. Is my math right on that, by the way? Yeah? About right? 300? Well, what, what's the percentage? Okay, so I've screwed up that part. I'll change that for the second, second message. Look at the increase. Look in, in, in Acts verse 47, Acts 4.4, 4, Acts 8, and Acts 10. All of a sudden, there's this ingathering for people to coming to Christ. When we look around us as a society, we have a lot of technology, we have a lot of tools, we have a lot of abilities at our fingertips. But at their best, they're just tools to promote the gospel. Think back about these people. Their form of communication was word of mouth, or at best, rolls of parchment with letters or declarations And yet, within a short period of time, all the known world heard the message of Jesus. And there was an incredible turnaround of society. We desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's great to have the tools. It's great to have communication. It is wonderful to have all these things. And yet none of those save one soul. Remember how you were brought to Christ by the power of someone's testimony, of someone talking about a king and his kingdom and how much he cares and loves for you, and you were brought in. Was it their wonderful technology? Was it the clothes they wore? Was it the power of persuasion? No, it was the power of God that brought you in. And it is by the power of God that we go forth and do this. You have the right as ambassadors. We are called ambassadors for Christ, Paul says in the book of Corinthians. That means you have the authority and the right to bring this king and kingdom message. Let's end with this admonition from 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Let's go to that slide if we can. Paul is talking to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, in a personal letter. And he says this. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but of power, of love and self-control. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. I'll be the first to admit, walking and following Jesus is a difficult proposition. It means the death. Remember we said about being his witnesses, that word means martyr. There has to be a dying to self, as Jesus said, laying down your cross and following me. And sometimes walking in the power of God and experiencing his presence and his power can be a very sometimes frightening experience. And sometimes the fear of man can bring a real trap on our lives. But as he's exhorting Timothy here, remember to fan in the flame the gift of God, which was given to you by the laying on of hands. He's speaking about when he laid his hands on Timothy, there was the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. The best way to describe it is one baptism, many fillings. Remember when the book of Ephesians, as we were going through that, one of Paul's admonitions was, be you continually filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the best antidotes to being timid and fearful and drawing back is the power of God and the love of God consuming us because he has given us his spirit not to draw back, not to be cowardly, but of power and his love and a mind that is self-controlled, able to think clearly and able to move forward so that we can share in the suffering to preach the gospel according to the power of God. I'm going to have the band come up. I might have caught him by surprise, so it might take a few minutes. There we go. We'll see how many were inside in the message, listening to the message, or out there eating a donut. <laughs> Look, guys, I believe these scriptures and these promises bring a real challenge to us. What will we do? We can be in one of two camps. We can be fully dependent upon ourselves and our own strength. Or we can be in the other camp where we're weak and we know it, but we're afraid and we're timid. Or you may be in that third where you're just enjoying the presence of God and He's doing wonderful works. No matter what group or camp you find yourself in, we all need continual filling. We all leak at different times. As we see in in Acts chapter 4, after the disciples had been filled, there was great persecution that came upon Peter and John as they healed a lame man. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin and they're dragged into court and they go back to to their friends and they say, this is what happened. And they begin to pray and ask, oh God, pour out your spirit again upon us. Would you extend works of power and miracles would you, would you glorify the name of Jesus? And as they prayed, it says the room was shaken and they were filled. Again, I don't want to draw attention to an experience as being a norm. It can. It might not. But let's look at the substance about our relationship with God here. Do we need more of Him and less of us? 
Do we need power? Do we need him to live through us the way he desires to? Whether, whatever camp you are in, yes, we do. So I'd like us to stand. <coughs> and if, if your heart has been stirred by this, if your recognition and seeing him and your need for him, And I just want you to lift up your hands. And let's call upon him. And lifting up our hands is really just saying, here I am, I'm yours. And I want to receive. Remember, Jesus said very clearly, does any father, when a son asks for a piece of bread or some food, does the father give him a snake or a stone? How much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask for the Holy Spirit? So, Lord, here we are. We wait upon you. Oh, God, our need for you is great. We welcome you in. Lord, we don't want to draw back. We really don't want to rely on ourselves. And we love you. So come and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit.